Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's going on, everyone? It's Taylor Cowles here for CLNS Media, and this is the second installment of our Behind Enemy Line series, where I'm talking to some of my favorite people covering the AFC East to get a better feel for how the landscape of the division has changed, because obviously these teams have gotten significantly better since the end of last season. For this Bill-centered episode, I am joined by one of my favorite humans from one of my favorite websites. We've got Anthony from Cover One here. Cover One, even if you're not a Bills fan, they make some outstanding football content. I learn from them all the time. Seriously, have to check them out. But without further ado, Ant, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good. I'm uh, I'm pumped to be behind enemy lines and in enemy territory on this one. And uh you're somebody who I've had on my show back during the regular season this past year. And um, yeah, I respect your work even back then before you were uh, in the capacity that you are now, um, which is just, um, we were talking offline already. Like I'm super pumped for you and you're a good dude and you know, ball and we've always, you know, vibed really well and got along really well. And we talk in the DMS, even when we're not planning episode stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm pumped to be here and thank you for having me. Yeah, man. That was literally one of my favorite appearances I've ever been on. That was so much fun. So hopefully get the magic going again. Uh, so like I said, we're pretty much going to keep it simple, make it more conversational because I'm trying to pick your brain to see where the bills are at now relative to where they were again when the season ended. So we'll start with free agency. How much better did they get? I know they brought a lot of guys back on one-year deals. It seemed like obviously some big additions like Tyler Rapp, who I think is a really interesting piece in that secondary, which is already a little too deep for my liking as someone who covers the bats. So what did I was going to say though, but did? like, can you even really say that knowing like the Patriots and it's just like, yeah, we're just gonna have a bunch of Swiss army knives in the secondary. And you have no idea who's playing where and who's doing what. Hey, I'm not, I mean, they got a wealth of riches. I'm not saying you're better in the secondary or anything, but uh, it definitely is a talented group. So what do you think about all the guys that they brought in and brought back? Overall, I I'm happy with it. And especially too, you have to put it within the perspective of, this isn't a team that was flush with cap space. So they weren't going to be a team that was going into free agency where it, you were expecting a whole bunch of moving and shaking. And granted you weren't expecting that last year, really. And then they found a way to bring back Von Miller, but, or signed Von Miller, I should say, but we, we knew there were some buttons they could push in terms of some restructures and some extensions to clear some space. They did push those buttons. And I think overall with the space that they had and what they were able to do, I, I really like the Connor McGovern signing, not because I think he's going to be some all pro guard, but they got, and it's so hard to say this because they're NFL players at the end of the day, but they really got like D level, maybe C plus level game on a Roger Saffold last year at left yeah. guard, despite the fact that he made the pro bowl, which should really tell you everything you need to know about the pro bowl. And then you bring Especially Connor McGovern in so bad. And I want it to mean something and it doesn't. And they bring in Connor McGovern who, he takes that position from like a C plus or a D 
to like mm-hmm. a B minus a B yeah. and that's a huge win. Like mm-hmm. th- that's tremendous. I don't think the I would love if the bills had the best offensive line in football, but that's not realistic. Just give me an average line. Give me yeah. every week where they're going to be 15th, 14th, 13th. The problem with the bills line has been sometimes they look like 11 or 12. Sometimes they look like 28, 29, 30. And it's just that roller coaster mercurial ride you get on. So I think he adds to the athleticism of the group. He adds to the floor of that offensive line. I really like that. And then towards the back end, as free agency continued, you know, you mentioned Taylor Rapp. I like his potential, especially with Tremaine Edmonds' departure. I think Taylor Rapp could actually see several, you know, key matchup roles, depending on the opponent and situational pieces as their dime linebacker, like, like he that. did with Los Angeles. And it's something that he did in the Super Bowl. Like when they won that ring, Nick Scott and Eric Weddle were the starting safeties. Taylor Rapp was not starting. He was the dime linebacker on known passing downs and third downs covering Jamar Chase in the slot and matching up with Boyd. I love what he can do in and around the box. And then you can get really creative and he can play in that split field safety role, some post safety stuff, but not ideal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then, but then you start to get creative and like, okay, you got a three safety look. Is he going to be more the dime linebacker? Is is Poyer buzzing down? Like who's covering what? Yeah. I like that. And then Leonard Floyd and Puna Ford. Um, I was very concerned. In the trenches overall for this Bills team. I still have some concern at right tackle with Spencer Brown, but McGovern helped me on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, Bills needed stability inside. I wanted more multiplicity. And you got someone in Puna Ford who can line up in a variety of techniques. You can put him, you can, he can live as a five, but he can also live as the four eye and as the three tech or one tech inside. And with what the Bills have done at times, watching his tape in Seattle, seeing his versatility and effectiveness, I like that move. And then we don't know what Von Miller is going to look like, even if he, you know, comes back healthy and when he comes back healthy. We do know that Greg Rousseau continues to ascend. But A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Basham have been very up and down. They needed more pop and high floor known quantity off the edge. And Leonard Floyd gives them that. And then when Von comes back, now you have a nice three-man rotation off the edge. So those are the highlights for me. And overall, considering who they brought in, and especially pairing it with how much financial flexibility they had, I think they had a good offseason in free agency. Yeah, the depth was so big because when you give Josh Allen time, like he's at his scariest when he's just sitting back there and it's, oh, no, they've given him way too much time. Someone's going to be running downfield and he's got the arm, obviously. Put and it there and he so rarely has that. It's always like, yeah. let me, OK, a linebacker, Stu, let me move out of him. Let me stiff mm-hmm. on this defensive end and go make a play. It's rare when he just gets to be like one to two to three to four. He's always like having to run for his life more often than yeah. not. And it's a double-edged sword when you have his talent because, again, like as Patriots fans know, they've gotten some of the best Josh Allen performances where he, you know, and he gets better. It's not always the freakish play where it's Mahomes-esque where he's like running away from guys, getting out of sacks, like making the throw, which just bugs me so much when Patriots defenders are like, oh, the down must be over because they see him towards the sideline. And then like, I think it happened last year and the year before, throws it in the back of the end zone and there's somebody who's covering another receiver just standing there like, oh, Oh, I probably should have stayed with my man. That's literally what's the the Thursday night game, the first one against New England. I think he throws it back across his body in the red zone, I think, to Gabe Davis in the back of the end zone. It was either him or I think it was Knox. Oh, it was not. Yeah. 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 There were multiple. He had a Allen had a similar one like that to Cook against Miami in the Saturday Mm -hmm. night game later in the year. And yeah, he just pulls those plays out. And all it takes is that half second for you to be like, all the plays over. But again, that's him having to extend because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, the pocket collapsed or my man got beat in 0.75 seconds. I got to go make something happen, which is yeah. 
it's a hard way to live like that week in and week out. Exactly. I was going to say, you'd like to have a quarter. Everybody wants a quarterback who can do that, yeah. but you don't want to put your quarterback in position to have to do that all the time. And like you mentioned with rap, the Patriots are obviously, I don't want to necessarily say they're at the forefront, but when you look at teams where it's like they have three plus safeties who, like you said, can truly do everything. Swiss army knives who can like be in the same package and from down to down play different spots. So it's scary when you think of obviously, you know, Jordan Poyer got hurt a lot. Micah Hyde missed last year. So you're with age and injury, you're kind of, there's some concerns over what the safety position is going to look, but at full strength, the diversity that gives you, especially from a Pats perspective, where they're probably going to be pretty 12 heavy with Mike Kosicki and Hunter Henry. They're probably not going to leave the field very often. Now the Bills have that matchup guy where I know a lot of Patriots fans were thinking Taylor Rapp would be a good Devin McCourty replacement. But like you said, he's not really that middle of the field guy. He's more split safety play towards the box, but that's really what you need when you have a lot of talented pieces. So Again, from that Pats perspective, it's it, it troubles you a little bit knowing that they can have all these safeties and just shift, you know, move them around, have all that versatility. And then you also mentioned the defensive line, having Leonard Floyd. Obviously, Leonard Floyd and Von Miller worked pretty well together. They won a Super Bowl yeah. together rushing <laughs> off opposite edges. So, you know, I wasn't happy to see that signing because Floyd is not only a great pass rusher, but I really think his best asset is his run defender mm. where you get that consistency out of him. And the Patriots usually, because you can't really throw all over the yard against Buffalo, you see them usually try to not establish the run, but lean on the run to have yeah. success, as you know, with one of your other additions, Damian Harris, who's had mm. some of his best games against Buffalo. But now at least, you know, it's not going to be as easy to run outside against them. Uh, so now moving on the draft, they had, I think the value that they got, especially when their first couple picks was outstanding. Again, selections that didn't make me necessarily happy as someone who's covering the Patriots, but really talented players. So what did you think about the bills? Not just at the top, but throughout their draft. It's funny that you say value because my favorite value pick of the first round was Christian Gonzalez falling as much as he did and then landing in New England. I was like, this is literally the perfect scheme and skill set <clears throat> fit and pairing. And I'm like, of course he fell in New England. And look at it. Look, and look at him crushing it already in camp and practice and all these things. Like, so it's funny, like to be here and hear that piece. Um, I like what they did overall in the draft. I didn't. Going into it, I had had this internal discussion with myself and pieces and notes and evaluating with because so many Bills fans wanted Jackson Smith and Jigba and rightfully so. Like I understood why, but I kept having this thought to myself and debate with myself. And I heard it from a couple other people. Like I think Tyson Brugler talked about it at one point, like you could have a legitimate conversation of who's like the best middle of the field presence slot guy. It could be Jack's or it could be Dalton Kincaid. Yeah. And I kept thinking of this idea and I was like, yeah, but that doesn't seem like their kind of thing. And then they pounced all over Kincaid when he fell I've talked about it so much, the schematic advantage of 12 personnel and not to, you know, beat the Patriots drum again, but I've been infatuated with it ever since Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. And granted, like that's a, I don't think that should be the standard that 12 personnel teams are held to, but even with other teams, like I like when the Eagles ran it with a young Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, like the schematic advantage it presents you, especially with teams who want to live in a nickel world and a pass like pass defense first mindset. I, I love what 12 personnel presents for you and him falling and the need there and the fit. I really liked it a lot. Osiris Torrance, I thought was value as well, even though it wasn't necessarily a hundred percent needed given the current roster makeup, I'll never complain about adding an offensive lineman in the first three rounds really yeah. ever. Even as much as I'm frustrated with Spencer Brown, 
I understand with taking swings on offensive linemen on day one and day two, you always need to reinforce the trenches. Torrens adds a different dynamic from a skill set and mentality and play style standpoint. So it's one of the bigger battles that I'm interested and intrigued to see come camp because Mm -hmm. like you and I were talking about offline before, none of the Bills interior offensive linemen weigh more than 307 pounds. And here comes Mm -hmm. Osiris Torrens who plays in the 330s and is a, he's not an in-space mover, pull-me guy. He's a let me get downhill. I've got huge vice grip, bare paw hands. I'm going to maul you. I'm going to drive you off the ball. I'm not the best at climbing to the second level, but I can do it a little bit. He presents a, a bit of a different option for a team that's been a lot of, you know, pin and pull. And maybe now they become more downhill run and we get more duo again and we get more inside zone. And when you add someone like Damian Harris, it's like, oh, maybe the physical run game starts to come into mm-hmm. this offense a little bit. I like what he presented. I understand the long-term play for Dorian Williams. Um, I have to just keep saying I was, I was doing a live show when it happened and I got asked right before they picked. So the, uh, one of the other people on the show with me was like, what do you not want to see here? And I forget, I said two things. I forget the first one I said, but the second one was, and I don't want Dorian Williams. And then the bills took Dorian Williams <laughs> and that linebacker spot is going to be a position to watch for this team all off season. I think Williams could be somebody who can be something in 2024 or beyond, but he just came and Brandon Bean said it as much. He comes from such a simplistic defense, like two lane plays legitimate spot drop coverages. Mm-hmm. And you're going to an, an NFL and especially a bills defense that runs a lot of pattern matching where you've got to be responsible for, you know, walling off the three and carrying two vertical at times and all these matchup pieces that aren't just, you know, Oh, on the snap, I drop back seven yards to my zone and I turn and I look and then I try to cover. Um, so I do think he's got, you know, a bit of a journey ahead of him, but you like the traits and you like the skill set. And I think those were the overall like biggest, you know, if we're looking at kind of the bills draft in a nutshell, I think those are the, I mean, the first three picks, but take those pieces. And I, I like, I like Justin shorter a bit. I like the size potential, um, especially for a bills wide receiver group that has never been the biggest or the fastest or the strongest. And he adds a bit of a more, more physical dynamic and presence, especially maybe if Gabe Davis, you know, cashes in and gets a bag yeah, next off season and free agency. Like, yeah. I mean, no, no offense to like Devonte Parker, but if he's getting what he got, like, I don't know, is Gabe Davis getting even a little more? Cause I, and I don't know, I'm still gun shy after what Christian Kirk and Zay Jones got like two off seasons ago and just what the wide receiver market can be for guys. Right. So maybe that presents some insurance there. And, um, yeah, overall, I thought they got, I thought they got depth. I thought they got value. And I think they also addressed premium positions and or positions of need. So overall on the whole, um, you know, pretty satisfied with their draft class. Take your first swig at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times. It's 10 times your first bet amount of bonus bets and up to $200. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you could spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to be, well, hitting the first home run. All in the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Boston, FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Yes. Do you think they're ever going to leave 12 personnel, really? Because I feel like the whole offseason, it's the, the Bills need another weapon. Like Gabe Davis is that really good one-trick pony who can make all the amazing catches downfield that Allen can put there. 
but consistency has always been an issue with him. Mm-hmm. Then last year, obviously, he got so bad that they're bringing back Cole Beasley and John Brown to contribute. Like, they clearly needed that help. But now I love Dawson Knox and feel like he's someone who could be using a much higher clip than he really has since mm-hmm. he's gotten to Buffalo. That's just my – every time I watch him, I feel like he's someone who gives the Patriots a good amount of trouble, even with yeah. someone as good as Kyle Duggar. So, yeah, do you think they're going to live in that 12-personnel world, or do you think they're still going to – because, as, as we know, they love using play action. They love those yes. big shots when it looks like run. You got Gabe Davis is the only receiver on the field and they're still throwing it over your head. So is that where you see them going schematically? I really do. Um, especially when you pair it with, and, and this is, you know, maybe taking it back too much, but Ken Dorsey, when he played at the university of Miami, granted potentially a different time, a lot of two tight end sets with what mm-hmm. he did in Miami. And then from a coaching standpoint where he cut his teeth, was with those Carolina Panthers teams who were heavily reliant upon Greg Olson and Ed Dixon. A lot of two tight end sets with tight ends who could function in both the pass and the run game as blockers. Mm -hmm. And with what the Bills have, Knox has, we know his athleticism, what he can do in the route distribution. I think he's still working on the refinement from a technicality piece, but Mm -hmm. he's so fun as a player in terms of what you can do with him as a chess piece. He's improved on his blocking every year. And Kincaid, for as much as he is, you know, a pass catching option. I think he's a better blocker than he gets credit for. I'm not saying he's a plus matchup as a blocker, but he gives a ton of effort Mm. and he, he will shield. He's more of a shielder than he is like a people mover, but he gives 110% as a blocker. Mm. He doesn't shy away from contact. And that's honestly 70% of the battle as like an ancillary piece in the blocking game. So you take that combined with what he can do where it just the numbers that he put up in the slot amongst all receiving options in 2022 and how proficient he was and how pro ready he is. Yeah. I do think we, I, I expect to see 12 personnel as a significant piece for him. Now it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be 12 where both tight ends are attached to the formation, you know, and right, you got a seven right. man or yeah, you got a seven man surface or two tight ends on the right and Knox is the Y and Kincaid is hipped off of him or something. It might be, and I think it will be to a degree spread looks. Yeah. Those like yeah. 11 personnel looks where instead of Cole Beasley, you've got Dalton Kincaid running those option routes out of the slot and they're going to mm-hmm. function different because they're two different types of players. But yeah, you'll see that kind of more like a power spread look yeah. than you necessarily will see it like, well, 12 personnel and condensed formations and we're running the ball down your throat. I think you will see more of a run game presence from them, but that's what's so exciting about the 12 personnel piece is based on what their opponent is for that week. They can lean more into the power piece or the ground game, or they can just stay in that personnel package and lean more into the spread piece in the past attack you're just able to access so much more of the menu without having to turn the page and that's how you truly dictate to a defense i do think they do like trent sherfield and deontay hardy i think you will see them get mixed in but i expect yeah 12 personnel to be a significant significant piece of the offense this year and then especially going forward i would honestly anticipate the bills and the patriots looking schematically more similar than people might expect Mm. obviously you think of the patriots more under center we're trying to run the ball down your throat But especially in camp, what you're seeing is a lot more of the spread influence with Bill O'Brien having been in college, where that's exactly what Mike Kosicki's doing. Like he is a slot receiver. The way he's aligned, he doesn't look like a tight end at all in a lot of these packages. And he does not want to block. Like he's not even trying. He's like, put me in the slot and let me run routes. I'm glad you said it because there that's the biggest difference between him and Kincaid. I think when people hear that, oh, this is a tight end who's a slot receiver, they think Kelsey, they think Kasiki, where like those guys truly don't want to be blocking. Like it's not really a matter of it's a matter of effort with him where you're concerned about like, if I put him in this position, I just don't think he's even going to seal off very well. It's literally, he's going to stand in the way and someone might end up pushing him back. 
did not see that with Kincaid. He's the kind of guy where I think once he gets his hand, like really with blocking, it's effort because if you can get yes. your hands in the right place and your leverage is good, yep. it's just science at that point. Most people yep. are going to move out of the way. So I, I'm excited about his versatility. And I, I think he should get more credit than just he's a slot receiver because also people always mention like, oh, tight ends and slot receiver. That's a six. I think he's a little shorter for a tight end, but like that's a six, three plus slot receiver. Yeah. There's very few nickels who are going to be able to consistently contest catches against guys that are that big. And then if you want to run a toss to his side, well, he's probably going to bury whoever's across from him unless it's one of the more physical guys in there. So he's 246 pounds. Yeah. Like six, three, six, four, 246 pounds. So if you're playing nickel, cool. Can yeah. you're. Can your nickel corner, who's probably if if a nickel corner is heavy, they're what like probably 190 pounds? Yeah, maybe? they're not touching 200. No, that's let alone. <laughs> yeah. So what are they going to do when they're matching up a dude in the slot who's 240 pounds? And then it's like, okay, well, now we got to match that with a physicality piece. We need a bigger body there. Cool. Can your bigger body cover that tight end downfield when he starts moving? Like, can exactly. he function with him? Like, does he have that the man capability chops and all these pieces? Like, it just presents a lot of schematic problems. And that's where it gets interesting, I think, when they're going to be playing the Pats, because now they Jalen Mills switched positions. So you yes. actually do have someone who can comfortably line up in the slot. And instead of usually Peppers is more their slot kind of corner guy when they do that big nickel. But now you've got a guy who played boundary corner and was one of your biggest outside corners. So that versatility is going to be fun. Kyle Duggar and Dawson Knox has been a pretty consistent matchup. So these are going to be schematically and in terms of execution, just because of how much better I think the Patriots defense is mm-hmm. and the bills are the bills, but now they've got a supercharged slot receiver. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then let's go to the trenches. Cause you mentioned that as well. How do you see that lineup shaking out? And do you see, you know, you mentioned Damian Harris, they may go downhill more. Do you think we're going to see legitimately more runs? Uh, I think the bills had a fairly diverse run scheme. It was zone heavy, but they still mixed in some duo and a little bit of gap stuff as well. So yeah. how do you see that whole situation playing out? And do you think we'll see a different version of the offense because of a guy like Osiris Torrance and McGovern and all the pieces they tried yeah. to add there? You know, it's funny. Like they, they were, mainly his own team throughout the year as, as most teams are, but they had a significant presence in gap early on in the year. And I did an episode recently on James cook and from weeks 11 on every single week, it was like 53% zone 54, 57, 59, like more and more and more mm-hmm. as James cook became more of a focal point and piece in that backfield. He's more that and, wide zone runner. Kind yes. Of guy. And yeah. not that he can't run gap, but mid zone, outside zone you want him just flowing like water and wherever the hole opens is wherever he goes and especially Mm -hmm. when you have an offensive line like spencer brown and ryan bates and mitch morse and even Deion dawkins to agree guys that really aren't traditional people movers but they're Mm -hmm. athletic and they can function in space cool let's just run zone let's create some double teams and make some space happen and let james cook figure out where to go i think you'll see that piece from him but I do think you'll see more of a downhill presence. And I do think Damian Harris will have a role in this offense, especially from a red zone short yardage perspective. Not that the bills were bad in that area, but just what he can do. And I also think it's very interesting that they brought in Latavius Murray, like both of those guys, not that Harris and Murray are necessarily the same archetype, but both are more banger physical type back presences and in that mold. And they're very much, a complimentary piece to what James cook would be. So I do think you're going to see uh, a significant role from Harris. Now it might only be 40% of the snaps, 40% of touches or whatever, but I do think he'll be used in high leverage situations. And if Osiris Torrance wins that right guard job, I expect to see, you know, he can function on zone Mm -hmm. enough on the backside to like, he can reach a bit, 
But this is somebody, again, like you said, you want downhill run. So inside zone, you want duo, you want him, you can run pin and pull, but you don't want him as that puller. You want him Mm -hmm. as the pin. You want him just clamping Mm -hmm. down and that's it, which again, makes sense when you've got a mover like Connor McGovern and a center like Mitch Morris, who just live in space and you want to take advantage of that athleticism. So I do think one, the run game overall, will we will see more of the, more of a bit of like leaning onto that piece for the Buffalo Bills. I don't think they're going to become a run first team, but they were so good with it down the stretch. I think they're going to continue that into this year. And I think overall you'll see a more diverse run scheme, run scheme with a bit more emphasis on physical runs and more downhill and or people moving pieces. If Osiris Torrance wins that job, because that's that changes really a lot of what they do because they don't have anybody on the offensive line that can function like him um, from a physicality perspective. Do you think he has real competition? He seems like a plug and play starter to me, but obviously, you know, just draft position, all those things. It's not a lot, but I just yeah. don't really personally see anybody who I'm like, yeah, this, this guy is going to have, or Torrance is really going to have his hands full competing with X. I, I, so how do you feel about that? I have to see him and it's, it's going to be good that the bills have Ed Oliver because one of Ed Oliver's best traits is his get off and his speed. Yeah. They're going to need to see how Torrance fares against NFL quickness and speed because he, so he's not unathletic and he doesn't have bad feet. He's got good feet, but he's a huge mountain of a man. He's not built for quick lateral movements and quick side to side pieces. Mm -hmm. Like, so his ability to be able to function against strong get off and quickness and speed and agility at this level, which is something that gave him trouble at times in college, but he was able to recover because, you know, a, a really quick guy on the interior was probably going to be like 280 pounds. And so then they beat him with quickness, but then he just gave him like a quick punch right into their butt yeah. plate, and knock him off center. And it's over. When he makes contact, you're screwed. That's it. Like you're done. Once he gets his hands on you, it's a wrap for you. You're done. But guys have the ability with their get off to potentially open him up a little bit. And if he's not clean with his footwork, if he's not clean with his hand placement, I think he could, he could potentially struggle against NFL speed and quickness. If he can nail that down. And I mean, literally like I'm just drilling him like, yo, Ed, come here, speed rush the hell out of him every single time. Try to be, try to penetrate, try to get, get him off kilter, try to make him open up and attack backside, like, or try to beat him on that inside shoulder and win that half man relationship. I'm testing him with speed over and over and over again to make sure he's acclimated and can handle it. Um, And I do think ideally they would want him to start, which makes something even better. Ryan Bates, who was their starting right guard last year, who I like, but he can play both guard spots. He can play center. Your offensive line is never going to make it through the year, usually completely healthy. I think Ryan Bates then becomes a super sub who can function in in a variety of ways. And he can even play some of an emergency tackle in a pinch. So I like him being, unfortunately for him, relegated to that super sub Swiss Army knife backup utility player role. And then I also, I don't care what kind of you know nature the NFL is. I like running the ball. Yeah. I like physicality. I don't care how, it and matters. I'm going to say, look what the Chiefs did. When mm-hmm. they came out in the Super Bowl second half and ran it down the Eagles' throat, what happened against the Jags in the divisional round in the second half? They ran it down their throat, just like what they did when Chad Henney went in from Mahomes. You need that pivot. And if you have a QB like Josh Allen and a passing game like the Bills have, it's so scary to be like, yeah. oh, no, now we also have to worry about the run. Like It's a literal nightmare because no one's really going out there being like, all right, we got to put the big bodies down there to stop the run. You're trying to stop pass, and that's always the scariest thing. And one of the nice things when they when the pass play the Bills is you know they're probably not going to lean into the run enough yeah. for it to be a consistent threat. But still, you saw James Cook was getting loose and breaking off some big plays because yeah. – 
everyone's prioritizing the pass. You're trying to play too deep. You're trying to get as many defensive backs on the field as you can. It's just. And now what do you do? Like if if the bills can run out of their spread looks, are you still playing them with a six man box? Like, are you going to do that? Because okay. Cook cook averaged 7.5 yards of carry against light boxes from week 11 and on last year. And he ate like, are you going to do that? Cool. Oh, you know, we can't, we got to bring a seventh man down. Okay, cool. Are you doubling Stefan Diggs? Do you got somebody who can roll with Kincaid? Gabe Davis is going to push you vertically. Oh. Do you have somebody who can match with Dawson Knox? Okay, we're putting Deontay Hardy in there, and he's one of the fastest dudes on the field. Are you going to be able to rock with him? Like, I'm getting secondhand anxiety. This is fine. it's it's like again from a football perspective, and as a football fan, I am very excited to see what this team looks mm-hmm. like. But you know, it's as someone who's been following the Patriots most of my life, not the best. Um, I, I, I always lose track of time when we talk because this is so much fun. Yeah, I got to get you out of here with one more question though. Sure. The Bills are one of the best teams in the league. I don't think anyone's going to argue that they got worse. So instead of asking why the Bills are and aren't going to make the playoffs, just what has to happen for the Bills to somehow miss another playoff appearance? I think one will take the low-hanging fruit injuries things mm-hmm. fall apart. If something happens yeah. to Josh Allen or something happens to Stefan Diggs and there's significant pieces, um, but it would have to be like a lot and it would have to knock on wood be like catastrophic. Um, I think the other piece, Ken Dorsey just doesn't put it together and the struggles that his offense saw down the stretch continue. And he's kind of been found out and he's too predictable and he doesn't know how to adjust and he's not putting pieces together. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, maybe Sean McDermott isn't meant to be a defensive coordinator anymore. Maybe the schematic pieces that got him to a Super Bowl with Carolina, maybe they don't fit here. And Von Miller isn't good enough to go. And this defensive line continues to be kind of meh when they need them to be much more than that. And potentially the linebacker position makes you vulnerable. I already think with the departure of Tremaine Edmonds, it's going to be harder for them to play those two high looks because of how he functioned in their quarters and Tampa two and cover two in general, like looks what he did. I think they're already going to have to play more single high specifically cover three. So how much are they handicapped by him being out? And so that could be, you know, something that could rear its ugly head. If it's, if whoever replaces him is that much of a vulnerability and deficiency. I want to talk for so much longer, but unfortunately I got the one that caps it to half an hour, but man, you've been fantastic real quick. Anything you'd like to plug? Sure. Find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro two underscores a N T. I am the host of disguise coverage live every Tuesday at 9 PM Eastern and co-host of the cover one film room live every Wednesday at 7 PM Eastern. And I break down football of all teams and players. So if you're following me, it's not just bill stuff. I kind of touch it all as well. Thank you, brother. Seriously, one of the best of the best. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. We'll see you next time. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP 
or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit slash chat in Connecticut, 1 800 9 with it in Indiana, 1 800 522 4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE NY or text HOPE NY in New York.